0: Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. content warnings for this episode include dysphoria, transphobia, mental health, ableism, religion, bullying, racism, and being misgendered. So hi everyone. I'm gender measter. I use they, them pronouns, and I will let my illustrious guests introduce themselves. Hello. Welcome to the stream. Hello.
1: I am Atlas of Phoenix. Thanks for having
0: me. Oh my gosh. Atlas. I'm doing excited hand clapping (laughs) (laughs) I noticed it's wonderful and endearing your outfit is so good can you so for those who are listening later and don't get to see the gloriousness that is your outfit could you describe it and maybe explain some of your design choices you've got going on here
1: it's great it's I actually have wings on I don't know if you you can see them
0: they're very there you go
1: I started with the wings last year because I had to uh, I had a booth at Pride and decided, OK, I'm going to dress up as a phoenix. So I had a little tiny frame, flame crown and then I had this eyeglass like it was a shade, but they were like orange and faded in. So you could see my face because I didn't want to wear a mask because I didn't think I was asking for donations. I felt weird about asking for donations with a mask. So I got the glasses. I look like a queer power ranger. And so <laughs> I decided to upgrade it is something a little more that was like carnival and drag queen at the same time. Absolutely. And they added the disco ball about 45 minutes ago.
0: Yeah. Why'd you pick the disco so cool. ball? I love it. Oh, it's like so a good. third eye or something. It's so good. It is a third eye. That's a perfect
1: <laughs> fun way. It's because when we are at a disco, we're at a club and we see the disco ball, it like reflects light on everybody, off the walls, off the people. And I just wanted to have this because I want my light To reflect off of everyone else so their light can reflect back at me and this is how we're connected yeah we're pure entropy and our energy just pours into each other and energy never dies
0: oh my gosh you're such a philosopher i love you so much already this is so fun (laughs) i love you too gender let's just give it to each other (laughs) so good i love all of this Okay, so there's two questions that I typically ask my guests, and given that our topic is post-identity something, maybe you don't want to answer them, so I'll ask them, and then you can decide if you want to answer them or not, and I will just be humble and listen to your answer. Okay, perfect. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) That works for me. Yeah. So the first question I like to ask my guests are, what are the things that you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be trans one day?
1: Oh, there's a scene. It's Saturday morning and I have my catcher's mitt in white t-shirt and shorts and a baseball cap and my dad is getting ready to take me to little league practice. And my mother, it looks like there's a wake happening in the living room. My mother wanted someone who did ballerina and did all the girly things. And she was so depressed. She was like withdrawn in herself. And I went back to think about like, when did you know that you were trans? I think it was that moment where I had no interest, energetically or spiritually, to embody the ballerina that she wanted as a girl, like maybe as a guy, but not as a girl. She wanted a girly girl and I was a boy. And I think that's probably when I noticed it, that there was nothing I could do at that point anymore to make her happy.
0: Wow, that's really powerful to be able to pinpoint that moment. What a great Mm -hmm. scene too. I can tell you're a filmmaker. (laughs)
1: <laughs> not not just a little bit just a little bit nothing extravagant. nothing award-winning or anything like that just a little yes
0: <laughs> nothing <laughs> award-winning yet yes. you watch in 10 years people will listen to this and be like wow atlas hadn't won any awards yet how fascinating
1: <laughs> <laughs> actually i got some awards for a short film i did four years
0: ago there you go you already yeah. do have awards Yes. You did
1: it. (laughs) I snuck one in there. (laughs) There
0: you go. I love it. So how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? Like how did you go from kid with a baseball mitt
1: to fabulous Phoenix person that you are today? Thanks for laying that up like that. I appreciate it. I uh, I was watching something, I was going through Netflix to see what I wanted to see one, one time, I think it was 2006. And this wonderful documentary came out about a trans sex worker who was doing adult films and i wanted to watch it because i was like oh what is this this is interesting and i typically like watching lifestyles that i don't know much about and for instance adult film stars because the way that we look at sex is poisonous sometimes and so these Mm -hmm. people these actors are treated poorly by our Mm -hmm. society and all they're doing is sex work and all they're doing which is legitimate honest work and what they're doing is doing something that a lot of people can't even do with their partner, which is allow themselves to feel the power of an orgasm and to feel the power of being close to someone intimately like that. So I wanted to watch it just to learn more about this particular adult star. And this adult star's name is Buck Angel. And so when I saw this person, I saw this powerful documentary, I remember he was talking about like, His surgeries he was talking about his lifestyle and i was like you can do that i was like (laughs) wait a minute you can change genders and i found my calling as a human spirit i found my calling and i was like Mm -hmm. i think it was a couple of days later i used to work at a cab place that was around the corner from where i lived and so i was walking down the street and as i was waiting for the light to change before i crossed the street to go to work I thought, when I'm 50, I'll probably change my gender. I will have lived half my life as a woman. I might as well live the other half of my life as a man to see what that's like. And then at 50, I decided on my birthday at 50, if you did transition, what would your name be? Hmm. And I thought, Atlas? Let's look up Atlas because it just came to me. And Atlas was a mythical god, Greek god, Titan god. And Atlas started a war with Zeus. And of course, he lost. And Zeus was like, "Okay, if you're going to come up at me like this, I know that you have the strength and the endurance because you came at me. So as your punishment, because you have the strength and the power and the endurance, you're going to hold up the heavens for the rest of eternity. So I picked Atlas for that because I have a lot of endurance for all the things I've been through in my life in 50 years. And Ogun is also another uh, mythical warrior, African mythical warrior and Ogun is a peace, a keeper of covenants? No, yes, a keeper of covenants and a warrior, a rum maker, a blacksmith, and peacekeeper. And he retreated to the woods, to the forest, and wasn't gonna come back to society, to civilization, until this beautiful African goddess, Orisha, danced to him and danced him back into civilization. And Phoenix, I am a Scorpio and I have seven symbols that represent me. And the first symbol is a spider. The second to the last symbol is a bald eagle. And the very last symbol is a phoenix. Mm -hmm. And Scorpios deal with rebirth, death, and destruction. Basically, we burn things down to the ground to to grow them back up again. And that's Mm -hmm. what I experienced in 2020. I lost my dear best friend. I lost the relationship with them and i did a lot of work with dialectical behavioral therapy that year i got enrolled into that program and i felt like 2020 of all years this is the year you've really risen from your ashes there's an election i live in minneapolis where george floyd was brutally murdered and this pandemic which is making everybody freak out and and taking unnecessary chances with their health and so i said your last name is going to be phoenix and then the very like an hour later I was on my acupuncturist table when I realized what my last name should be and when I came home I came out to 35 close friends over 30 over three weeks and People burst into tears, they were so happy. I made everyone like either call me or video chat with me. And I think there was one or two people that I just ended up text messaging. And on April 21st, I claimed that as my tea birthday. And the reason why is because Prince Nelson, Prince Rogers Nelson, known as Prince, died on April 21st of 2016. Mm. And his album, 1999, was the first full album I ever had at the age of 13 in 1983, and it changed my life. I took down all of my Michael Jackson posters and pictures, and I put up a singular poster of Prince, and I felt at home. I felt at home in my own skin. And incidentally, this wonderful person that I'm no longer friends with, I met them two years after Prince died, and we became friends very shortly after. And they also changed my life by just being themselves and teaching me to be myself. And uh, it was really just beautiful. And so I chose that day because I wanted to honor two people that have really done a lot for me to instill in me that I am an individual that relies on other individuals, but it's my individual job as an artist to, to be who I am. to My act of service and my, my risk as an artist is to just be myself. Yeah. And that's it, whether people like it or they don't like it. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter whether you like my art or don't like my art, I made you feel something one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And so that that is important, but the most important part of my art is simply doing it. And when I do it, I move on to the next project and that's it. It no longer belongs to me once I release it to the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've run into that before with, with other creative creator people that I've spoken with. Like we were talking about a tabletop system that someone had created and they're already working on their next project and thinking about that. And it's to them, it's old news. It's like, oh, I did that a year or two ago. Now I'm on the next thing. And it's, wow. It's so interesting how people catch up. Like people have reached out to me and said, they listened to the first episode of this podcast. And now they're thinking about starting HRT. And I'm like, looking at my watch like that was 50 55 56 episodes ago like it was a year ago doing other
1: stuff now it's exciting it's good to just put it out there whenever somebody comes across it however they yeah. feel about it whatever it does for them and they take their themselves on their own trajectory with the information that they have that's beautiful that's what i'm saying like we're energy pouring into each other yeah it's beautiful
0: it's, it's so powerful to have stuff that i worked on a year or more ago still be mm-hmm. positively impacting people today
1: That's wonderful, congratulations.
0: I imagine that's what it's like making films too. Uh, People seeing it later on, the work that you've done, being like, wow, this is so fascinating. Oh, this is so cool. I love that.
1: It's been an interesting process. Little Men, Between Little Men, which I made in 2018, In 2019, I released it and I actually rented out a old theater, a very like retro theater that was made in, I think, 1957. And so I rented it out and I had my premiere there and almost 200 people showed up. And I think I knew maybe 10 or 20 people and my producers knew about six people. So it was just a bunch of people that came. And what I did every morning for a month prior to the premiere is I cut a new trailer, whether it was five seconds long or 30 seconds long. I cut a new trailer every morning. And so you got a new trailer by 10 o'clock in the morning. And, and I had the premiere and then I submitted it to film festivals and it toured all over the world in 2020 or yes, 2020. And I made a film at the end of 2020 that was supposed to be a performance on stage, but because of the pandemic, I ended up recording it on video and I decided I wanted to do something different and artistic, so I just used my cell phone and shot it with the filter of black and white and just shot my monologue and that also got into film festivals and that's been doing well. And now I just accidentally did it again where I was supposed to perform something last week, but I got COVID and the producers of the cabaret asked me if I could just film it. And I was like, oh, I'm not just gonna film it. I'm gonna make it, yes. And so I used footage (laughs) from my documentary, Beautiful Boy, and I put it along with me just reading the monologue. And so I'm narrating this beautiful film that was received with so, so much love over the weekend. I asked how the cabaret went, and a friend of mine actually called me to tell me how she felt about it and that it was deeply moving and that like I'm naked, like I exposed my, my, what I used to have were breasts. And now I have, I had top surgery several months ago. And so I'm just in the woods, hugging a tree without a shirt or sitting next to a tree, or I'm making coffee or I'm cutting things up. And the piece is called ordinary. And it's just about how I'm just an ordinary human being, but because of bigotry, people, put all these labels on me and expect me to behave a certain way. For instance, when I've had in my lifetime where I've had uh, Caucasian people say, you're so well-spoken or you're so articulate. And my response is, that's a really awkward thing to say to me. And it's just, what does that even mean? And I also I took English class for 12 years, just like you did. How, was, how else was I supposed to sound? And so I talk about that. I talk about transphobia, fat phobia. I talk about homophobia. And I talk about how people are prejudiced against the amount of melanin in your skin. Mm-hmm. Which I've given a new name and decided to come up with a proper definition for what racism actually is, which yeah. we can talk about whenever you're ready.
0: Let's do it. What is your definition of racism? Let's hear it. I
1: wrote it down, so I'm actually going to read it, so I don't flub this one. There's only one race, the human race, and we are all human beings. Melanin is a complicated chemical process called melanogenesis, which creates the pigmentation of our skin, and it is used, it's made to protect us from UV radiation. And so what people have been referring to as racism is a colonial concept. What they're actually referring to is something that I am now calling, which is melanophobia. The unreasonable prejudice against another human being's melanin, which is out of our control and based on the sun exposure our ancestral population had. phobia is one of the pieces of something called bigotry, and bigotry is defined as an unreasonable prejudice against one or more members based on their membership of a particular group. There are many types of bigotry, like transphobia and homophobia fat phobia and now melanophobia and other countless countless others and so the authentic definition of racism to me is one or more members of the human race against other members of the human race and their humanity to me that is what racism is
0: it's a really powerful definition thank you for. it holds everyone accountable
1: yeah yeah thank you it holds everyone accountable I
0: love the nuance to it. There's so many threads we could pick up here. We could talk more about filmmaking. We could talk more about human being human and identity. Do you have a preference which direction we lean towards first? We'll get to both eventually.
1: No, I'm prepared. Just give me give me everything you got. <laughs> awesome.
0: Okay, let's go philosophical. Let's do it. What is identity? Since you said since you shared with us what racism is, what is
1: identity? Identity is anything you want to call yourself. It's not what other people call you. Mm -hmm. that's why it's powerful to be transgender because you get to identify yourself from the ground up and give birth to yourself from the ground up the moment you decide to transition Mm -hmm. and you don't need hrt and you don't need surgeries to transition you just need your spirit to align with your heart and your mind and just do it just cut the cords of society and colonialism and patriarchy and just be yourself that's your act of service
0: so what are your identities that you hold since identity is something you claim for yourself and not something that someone else can assign to you
1: can you talk Um, about that my identity is just being a human being like the other identities they fluctuate or they don't really identify me because i'm more than what people want to call me or what i'm filling out in demographic sheets to get a grant or to apply for housing or whatever these are nice but At the end of the day, I calm down and get ready for bed and go to sleep. And at the beginning of the day, I wake up and start my day. That's what every human being does if they're able. Some people can't sleep. So there's that too.
0: Yeah. Yes. Can you tell us more about why identifying as a human being is so important to you?
1: Because that's what I am. That's what we all are. And yeah. if we could take off the blinders of the blinders that are perpetrated by bigotry and perpetrated ultimately by racism, an attack on one, one human being's attack on another human being, then we can actually see each other for the be- beautiful human beings and the beautiful spirits we actually are because we're a spirit that's contained in this human vessel to experience things through a trajectory of past lives and future lives. And we're just supposed to learn everything we can and carry that with us back out into the big place out there called the universe yeah so
0: with the identity of human being are there how do you feel about cultural holidays so like juneteenth was yesterday you've got pride coming up you mentioned you're tabling at pride mm-hmm. how do you feel about these different events do you attend or not attend them depending on history or that doesn't matter at all what is what's your perspective on that
1: I I attended, today is officially Juneteenth, so people got the day off today. And that's, today was the day that I came up with a definition concretely of racism. And if I'm being frank, because we we talked about being witchy earlier, and I I feel definition isn't just coming from my mind, it's literally coming from my ancestors. My ancestors, when they were working the fields of cotton, they sang spirituals asking God for freedom, but they knew they were never going to experience freedom in their lifetime. But they knew I would. And so I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. And there is no reason for me not to celebrate Juneteenth. And there's no reason for me not to celebrate Pride because my ancestors were also queer and trans. So to go to these events, it's just me connecting with my ancestors and connecting with community, uh, my community of people and dealing with their ancestral lineage as well. And we all come together. And to do this one thing that is the benevolent, primordial God of all gods, which is we come together to love. Mm -hmm. That's it. Love is the primordial, benevolent God that sees us all. Yeah, And we all have the capacity to do this. We just do it see what happens tell that person you have a crush on them get that raise you deserve it here's the deal you're never gonna get paid (laughs) your worth so you might as well ask for what you can right now so be happy with what you got if you don't get that raise because you can do something else that will get you what you need ultimately you were your best guide. Your inner self is your best guide. And all you have to do is just love that voice in your head that tells you, I'm going to try this and see what happens. Instead of saying, I don't know, they're really cute. And they probably don't think of me. And they probably don't notice me. And so they probably do. If you just ask them, <laughs> you're not invisible. You can't do anything with your hairstyle to make you invisible. Like you can't <laughs> care if people see you. <laughs> I love that.
0: Okay, so the last question I have in this category is: Are mental health disorders dis- considered identity? We also talked very briefly before a stream about this phrase "neurospicy." Oh, oh yeah, neuro- there's also "neuro wonderful."
1: I don't know if you've heard that one. Oh, I um, love "neuro I yeah. am neurospicy and neuro And I'm proud of it. (laughs) this month is all about pride Juneteenth pride. Yes, I love it because like when I think about mental health disorders, that's what we are as human beings. We have mental health and some more acutely than others and a variety of different kinds of diagnoses that define how we think about things and I recently wrote a post yesterday where I talked about how I almost never remember Mother's Day or Father's Day. And then I broke down my parents, they missed out on a really good person themselves. And they weren't able to have access to the mental health help that I've had access to mm-hmm. where I'm doing the work to heal my ancestral trauma and to heal myself, which are synonymous. And they didn't have that opportunity because dialectical behavioral therapy was developed by Marsha Linehan in 1987. I was 17 when she made that. Mm-hmm. And if I had access to that when I was 17, who knows what I would be like now. And dialectical behavioral, dialectical behavioral therapy really saved my life. It's a year-long program and you have a book, you have homework, and you have group therapy for two and a half hours a a week on top of your hour long therapy. So it's 250 hours for the whole year of therapy. And it completely changed my life. Like I couldn't wear this two and a half years ago. I wouldn't even, I would be too scared to do it. But like today it's, this is what I'm supposed to be wearing. What are you supposed to be wearing? I don't even question it. Space cats. Exactly. So we're both (laughs) wearing what we're supposed to be wearing, being the beautiful human beings that we are. And yeah, I relate to my mental health because like recently I just found out that I have ADHD and gosh, that helped me so much because I could stop beating myself up for things I do naturally because of my mental health. And Mm. so I can't help it. It was something I was born with, like bipolar disorder. I developed complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But honestly, with my DNA going all the way back to just part of the way back to slavery mm-hmm. and then going all the way back to the very beginning of my lineage, there's an awful lot of generational trauma in my DNA. And so that is real, like mental health is absolutely real. That's an absolute, that's an absolute identity.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious about, Are is neurotype considered mental health or is it just like a category? Like, because health Mm. indicates something can get better or worse, like failing health is like the worst thing that could happen. No amount of money can fix failing health unless it can, unless there's medicine that can be accessed and capitalism is in the way, in which case, heck, capitalism and give people the medicine. Gosh, darn it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But also billionaires die because their hearts fail. No amount of money can save you from your health changing. But I
1: have a quote for this, actually. I don't want to interrupt you, but Bob Marley when he, his last words were, money can't buy life. And David Cassidy, who was part of the television show, The Partridge Family, his last words were, so much time wasted. So yeah, money can't buy life. Money can't buy life. No.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm curious about neurotype not being in the health category and just being in the like options category. Like how melanin content is an option, or like sexual attraction or romantic attraction or gender identity are options, just like being trans isn't a health threat i wonder right. if being somewhere on the neurodivergent scale that isn't neurotypical isn't a threat it just is it's just a different way of being that isn't
1: wrong or bad i agree with that there it is being neurodivergent for me isn't wrong or bad it's what i am it's how my mental if we say mental health but that's how i am mentally it's how i am emotionally and that's how i am logically and my wise mind still has no divergence to it, but it's a balance of the logic mind and the emotion mind, which is what they teach mm-hmm. you in dialectical behavioral therapy.
0: That's awesome. I also yeah. just thought of Vulcans for some reason. We've been watching a lot of Star Trek lately. Oh, who were you
1: thinking about again?
0: Vulcans. Vulcan <laughs> look like one. You're <laughs> the most fabulous Vulcan I've ever seen.
1: Is <laughs> it this? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I watched the original Star Trek. That's how old I am. I didn't watch, I think I watched a little bit of the new one, but I heard that it's really good. And I actually, now that sci-fi, it took me a while to get on the sci-fi. So I feel like I I need to get some DVDs and catch up on Star Trek.
0: Yeah, I've really enjoyed Discovery. It's awesome. Discovery, is that a channel? Star Trek Discovery is one of the newer See? Star Trek shows. I'm so bad at that. Is that the one Tarantino directed or is that the television show? It's a TV show. I don't know gotcha. if it's something Tarantino has anything to do with, but there's a lot of diversity. Like I've I have not seen someone with they them pronouns on a, a like a TV show that's sent out in the in that way where everyone oh. um, has access to it or whatever. And there's like the captain is a black woman with braids. Like her hair is watered down for white people at all. It's like amazing. <laughs> I love it. Okay.
1: I have and there's to watch gay them. men
0: in love and there's like lesbians and it's so great.
1: <laughs> it's the universe we're supposed to be living today. I know. Yes. <laughs> I'm on board. I do know that Terry Peter was in talks to do Star Trek, to do a Star Trek oh, movie.
0: Yeah, so. I missed all of that news. I'll have to go Google that. <laughs> yes. Go Google that. Fact check me. <laughs> So fun. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm smiling so much. My cheeks are hurting, but it's a good pain. (laughs) It's a good pain. (laughs) I know a little something about that. (laughs) Atlas, why do you make films? What inspired you to start making films? Tell us more about that.
1: Oh, this story. I have to figure out how it started. I don't know how it started. I came home from school one day, like I always do, and I had chores to do. But I I was bored. And so I was like, I'll do the chores later. And so I was just only child. And I picked up this telephone book. We used to have telephone books back in the day. And I had the white pages. And I opened it up. And there was, at the very beginning, there was a list of government offices and the colleges that were nearby and graphics, like little graphs of the stadiums, like Wright Stadium, Wright State Stadium. And so I said, oh my God, you're so bored. What are you doing? You're reading a telephone book. Go take a nap or something. Go do something useful. (laughs) And so I put the telephone book away and I go take my nap. And during my dream, I'm looking through a telephone book and I see the name of this college. Eventually I woke up and I was like, wow. Oh, you're just in love with Prince. That's it. You're just in love with Prince. We're gonna go to school tomorrow. We're We're gonna look it up and see if it really exists. I get to school the next day and there's this gigantic book of all the colleges listed in the country. I'm like, I'm totally not going to find this college. So I open it up, I get, I'm getting nervous, I'm getting nervous because I'm getting close to MI. And so I get it. And Minneapolis College of Art and Design is listed in this book, like it was listed in my dream, in the telephone Damn. book i looking at. And I looked at the degrees they offered and they offered film and video. And I said, that's it. I'm going to Minneapolis College of Art and Design and I'm gonna major in film and video and I am gonna become a filmmaker. And very shortly after that, before or after that, Spike Lee, I went to go see a film. And the trailer before that film was a black and white trailer of this skinny guy with big glasses and a bike hat that said Brooklyn across him. And he had a pack, of, a six pack of tube socks. And he was trying to sell the tube socks to raise money for his film. She's gotta have it. And I was like, I can make films? He's black like me and I can make films because I've been watching like Alfred Hitchcock and he was always in his films. And that was a filmmaker that I knew. But when I saw Spike Lee for the first time, I was like, oh, I can make films too. Anybody can make films. And so that was the other thing. And I did eventually come here and go to Minneapolis College of Art and Design. And I flunked out because I didn't have the money to pay for my projects. And so my grades were terrible. And 31 years later, I'm an award-winning filmmaker who just accidentally made another film last week, and I'm working on an experimental documentary film called The Beautiful Boy, which is about my transition and my mental health journey of 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still pursuing it, and it's been great, and I'm grant-funded by uh, different grants in Minnesota. I also won, I also got an honorarium from Sundance last year. I submitted my project to their Uprise grant and I wasn't able to get the grant, but they gave me 500 bucks and they're tracking my project now. So that's good. And and that's good, really. I'm just like, I'm just doing my thing, just steady doing it. And so
0: I feel like, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask more about Beautiful Boy, but you can finish your
1: thought first. That's a good segue, actually, because I feel like that with film, is the most powerful artistic medium that you can give people. Even if you can't see or you can't hear, you can still get the audio description. You can still read closed caption and see the images. And so I feel like It's one of the most powerful tools of communication. So powerful that Hitler hired a prominent Jewish filmmaker that was in a concentration camp to make a propaganda video. And there's actually a film about this filmmaker. And he made the propaganda video to show the world that Jews, which are part of my lineage, my grandmother was a white Jew, German Jew, who was killed in the war. And he wanted to present that everyone was being treated humanely in concentration camps. That's how powerful that is. And people believed it until they couldn't anymore. And so with Beautiful Boy, I'm just telling the story about myself as a person who is transitioning, and transitioning not just gender, but even my emotional landscape is transitioning from where it was two years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, 31 years ago when I first came here. So I'm talking about that and my mental health journey. And I'm talking about like how my body has changed, not just because of the surgery. I had top surgery a little while ago, but like when I started my mental health journey, like I restarted it in 2007 when I was declared disabled, mental, like, mentally, like disabled and mentally disabled. So I had to go on disability. And so... I was overmedicated for the first five years and I needed to lose weight because I gained something like, I feel like 35 or 75, I gained an awful lot of weight in two months. Mm. And I held that weight for about five or six years, maybe something like that. And so I was able to sit down with the nutritionist and figure out what was going on and how I could eat differently. And then I suddenly realized that I must've had eating disorders up until... I think 2000 2020 is when i caught it because i would like not eat for a while because of my income and then i eat and then eat a lot and then go for the periods where i wasn't eating a lot again and in 2020 i got more of an allotment for food stamps so i was able to go and buy quality food that lasted throughout the month versus having only 30 dollars for food stamps and then having to supplement that with money that i really didn't have so it was like every week I would buy like the first week I'd buy thirty dollars. The second week I'd buy sixty dollars because I have an additional thirty from the state. And then the other two weeks, I would buy thirty dollars worth of food. And there would always be a week and a half where I didn't have any money, so I'd have to like ration food for the week. And that developed a kind of eating disorder that I didn't really catch until 2020 when I started eating better. And then in 2020, I I lost forty pounds in 2020 and kept most of it off. And and it's been, I did it effortlessly almost. The depression of losing my relationship with my friend, I think that triggered it as well. But I was also starting to think differently because I was doing DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. And so I was able to learn to love myself and to take care of myself better. And that's the journey that I've been on ever since that moment when I realized it. And it's been a great journey of self-love and self-compassion. And like I said, finding out of ADHD has been helpful as well. But that's what the film is about. It's shot in black and white on purpose. And I'm using cell phone footage. I have an action camera that I just bought. And I'm also using a Sony a6400 mirrorless camera. And I have equipment because I was given a grant by the Minnesota Transgender Health Coalition to purchase the equipment that I needed and that I also was able to purchase a little more equipment with different grants that I've gotten since then. And so, yeah, that's what the film is about. My I have a website. There's a trailer that's on it. And part of the footage that I shot for my cabaret piece last week, Ordinary, uses footage from Beautiful Boy. And... It's good. Like, I'm excited to give it to the world in a couple of years. I'm waiting to finish bottom surgery and uh, get some reflection of that and then uh, put it all together, edit everything together, and uh, submit it to Sundance first to see if they'll take it. And then after that, put it on different film festivals. But ultimately, I'm going to distribute it on my own website and make it available for people to come and rent it. And eventually, it'll be available to purchase.
0: I will joyfully add it to my library of gender diverse things, cool. <laughs> Books, et cetera, Books et cetera. in that way. Yeah.
1: Yes. Cool. Yeah. That'd I be great. Have that
0: in my collection. Sounds wonderful. Oh, thank you. It, so there's someone that I tried to get to be on a, a guest on the show who had declined for just like personal privacy reasons, which I totally wholeheartedly respect, but he did share something with me that I thought was really incredible that maybe you would also enjoy. Okay. He mentioned that possibility dreams tend to come from people who are like us. So like you were saying, you didn't realize you could be a filmmaker until you saw Spike Lee. And then you had this possibility dream of, wow, I could do that too. Like I think the documenting of a trans journey, like you and I are both doing in our own ways, it -hmm. creates those possibility dreams for all of the trans and gender diverse people coming behind us.
1: That's the point of it completely. That is the one point of it. Right? survival guide. Like one person's yeah. story can be another person's survival guide. And that's what that's I talk right? about in my article for, I'm writing a series of articles about Beautiful Boy for the Walker Arts Center in Minnesota. And my first two articles are about, they're, they're about the loss of my friend that made me find myself, which is what really happened. Like I lost my beautiful friend and I found myself. And that's why I'm eternally grateful to have met them in the first place. And so- that's what it is one person's story is another person's survival guide so i get that oh my gosh i love it all
0: i love it all so uh, i would we we do have a sort of section of conversation about friendship and grief so i imagine we're going to hear more about your friend when we get to there the last question that i have on filmmaking Mm -hmm. is what are your say? What are some of your favorite films and or filmmakers? So it sounds like Spike Lee might be one of them, but who
1: else? Oh, my God. I've been watching films since I was five. That's a good 46 years. Okay, I'll start with that first film, the first film I ever watched that blew my mind. I was five years old and I love the rock band The Who. I think they're great. And they had this great movie. It's a rock opera that's written by the guitarist Pete Townsend. It's called Tommy. And everyone should see Tommy. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And like for the time that it came out, like they use green screen and stuff like that. But everybody's in it, like Jack Nicholson and Margaret. Oh, my God, everyone. Eric Clapton, Tina Turner is in it as the acid queen. It's beautiful. And I was deeply entranced by it because it was music... And they were acting, and I didn't understand that it was a musical, that it was an opera. And mm-hmm. because I was so young, but I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I've seen it periodically, and I haven't seen it on purpose for at least 25 years. Because mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the right moment to watch it again, just to be, mm-hmm. just to fall into it again. This is I do the same thing with pulp fiction. I watch pulp fiction every five to ten years just so I can fall back into it. That's another favorite. To Sleep with Anger by uh, Charles Burnett, Watermelon Woman by Cheryl Dunye, and also another movie by her called The Owls, Older, Wiser Lesbians. And oh, just there's so many. There's Moulin Rouge by uh, Bur- uh, Laos Berman. I saw that in the theater and it was mesmerizing. And I know a musical now that you can go see at the theater is available now. There's just so many movies and there's so there's so many wonderful filmmakers so many auteurs like anyone can take their phone and be a filmmaker but to actually tell a story with the camera that's why I call myself an auteur is that I tell stories with the camera and script that I usually write I almost always write my own scripts and so that's the difference between that making films and telling stories with the language of cinema and there's all types of There's Sally Potter. Sally Potter made this beautiful film based on a Virginia Woolf novel called Orlando, which is about non-binary and transgender expression. And it's amazing. Tilda Swinton and Billy Zane are in it. And that's magic. And I just invested in a 56 movie collection, that's all LGBTQIA films. And uh, there's like Born in Flames that's in there, Portrait of Jason, an English film that was a, the, I think one of the first films to talk about transitioning and it's called, I Want What I Want. And it's about a transgender woman. And there's also a B-movie, I hate the fact they call him a B-movie filmmaker, but Ed Wood, Ed Wood Jr which Tim Burton made a film called Ed Wood about Ed Wood Jr. and his relationship with Bella Lugosi who played Dracula. And Ed Wood had this film because Ed Wood was transgender. He made a film called Glyn or Glinda, 1952, I believe. And I bought that film and then I have Pandora's box. I have Young Rebel Soul or Young Soul Rebel by Julian Isaac and also Looking for Langston by Julian Isaac. And so there's just so much cinema that's been out there in the, in the 20th century alone the first gay film was a western called algae the miner and it was made in 1912 and there's no mistake who and what algae is that's how beautiful that film was and it's like a little nine or ten minute film or something and yeah there's just a lot of cinema and there's a lot of other kinds of cinema foreign films international films and african-american films and sci-fi There's just Like film is just, it's like this magical wonderland that you go and experience anywhere from 15 seconds to nearly three hours. And they used to make films that were six and eight hours long back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, you sit in the theater all day long. Pretty much like what you do at the Dollar Theater. Like when Purple Rain came out, I went to the Dollar Theater. And I'd sit there all day and watch it come on like three or four times in a day. Or the Barry Gordon's The Last Dragon and uh, with Vanity and mock And she plays, I think a singer who needs a bodyguard and he's like a martial artist who takes on the job. And it came out, I think a year after Purple Rain and, and Prince and Vanity used to date back in the day. And The Last Dragon, oh, it's fantastic. It's like this campy, wonderful thing. And I used to go to the theater and stay all day and watch it and all those kids would be there. And some people would like do whatever in the theater and just mouth all the lines or say all the lines mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty. That's so fun. Oh my gosh. I have
0: (laughs) attempted to capture that whole list, but the good news is it's recorded and we can go back and get it again later.
1: (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Such such
0: a good list of films. So if you're watching this live and you want this list, check out the VOD on YouTube on Friday or you'll see it in the podcast description when that comes out in about a month. Yeah, so I want to pivot now and talk about... Friendship and grief. This is the last big pile of questions that I have for you today. So you've mentioned your friend. How, Atlas, how do you define friendship and what significance does it have in human life?
1: Oh, friendship has an enormous significance to human life. We are hardwired to connect as human beings, which is why like when I described the disco ball earlier, reflecting my light, towards others so they can reflect their light towards me. Friendship is about safety, and that's what that reflection back and forth is. It's about safety, it's about listening, really reflectively listening, which means you wait until someone finishes what they have to say, and then you say what you have to say, but you don't wait waiting to say something, you wait as you listen. Friendship is about love, and even if you're partnered with someone or family with someone, it's enhanced by friendship and so friendship is the first thing it should be anyway and friendship is about respect it's about about being open and taking chances and it's about saying i love you and not being afraid of the answer Mm. that could come back and it's about being your own friend your own best friend being honest with yourself and listening to yourself and respecting yourself. So it's not just friendship you have with another human being. It's the friendship that's contained within you, with yourself, with your cat, your dog, your hamster, or any kind of animals, your fish, or just your friends in nature, an elk, a lion, you know, that friendship there, they're sentient beings too. Your plants, they're sentient beings too. And that's why when you talk to your plants, it helps them grow better and you clean their leaves. It helps them grow better.
0: Yeah gosh oh my gosh there's so many my brain is trying to keep up with the joy that i'm feeling just listening to your thoughts here um yeah it's i love like spirituality and philosophy and these type of things that are like deep soul conversations i actually majored in comparative religion in in undergrad because i wanted to understand people better and i wanted to understand the plethora of. Paradigms that people look at life through.
1: Mm. And so I didn't
0: study one religion. I studied as many as I could get my hands on because I wanted to understand people more.
1: Wow, um, that's beautiful.
0: Which is also very
1: autistic of me. I don't understand people. I'm going to study <laughs> them some more. I wish we all <laughs> took that approach. That's the genius of your autism is that you literally just taught us <laughs> to take an interest in each other, whether each other or not, to find yeah. different avenues to understand the human race better. That's beautiful, gender. Yeah.
0: So the next question is about grief. How do you define grief and what is the significance of it in human
1: life? Grief is significant. I'll start with that first. Grief is significant because if we didn't know grief, we would take the things that we love and care about, the things that bring us joy, we would take them for granted. And so grief is necessary. You have to lose in order to appreciate what you have period. And to make plans for the future of what you will not do so that you don't have to feel this type of grief again. Mm -hmm. So it's about calibrating yourself and how you will move forward in the future. Like with my friend, I made um, some very significant mistakes in a very short amount of time that caused our relationship to shatter. And I went ahead and delved deeper into my mental health to fix it and to shape it so that I was no longer surviving, but I was living. The survival skills that I had adapted for 49 years was no longer working and serving its purpose. And the purpose was to survive. And I no longer need to survive. I just need to live. I need to live my life on my own terms as authentically as and honestly as I can. And so grief is necessary and significant so that you can live your best life as the best version of yourself that you can develop day by day. So it's absolutely significant. And also the thing about grief is that you will always have grief, but it's the space around the grief that gets bigger and the grief stays the same. It's just the space around it gets bigger. And what, while the, you have this grief, the grief becomes a memory that will always remind you of something That was important to you and you can reflect back on it periodically as often as you need to continue to calibrate your spirit and how you move forward in the future and so the grief that i sustained by losing this dear friendship made me who i am today where i can show up for a a youtube streaming and twitch streaming and podcast for your audience and for you and for myself as myself in my most authentic form and so I wouldn't have been able to do this two years ago, but the loss of this beautiful friendship has allowed me to be who I really am.
0: Yeah. So often grief of the lost of a best friend isn't talked about or framed the same way, like the death of that relationship isn't framed in the same way as like the physical death of a loved one or a life partner. Why do you think that is? Like.
1: There are a lot of reasons why that is. And instead of focusing on that, let's focus on what a relationship, a friendship really is. Any relationship that you have with another sentient being, in and of itself, the relationship is sentient. So when the relationship is no longer there, the relationship has either died completely or has died down so much that it's just embers and cinders. And it's embers and cinders of something that was once sentient and beautiful and brilliant. It's just like a phoenix. And so some relationships I've lost and they've come back even 30 years later. And some relationships I don't want back. And I'm comfortable not ever relating to that person again or these people again. And I think that instead of focusing on why, it's more like how, and it's like the relationship in and of itself is sentient. And we have to respect the power of that, of the life of a relationship by contributing to the relationship together, whether it's you and I during this meeting right here are my former best friend. We contributed equally to this beautiful friendship and I wasn't contributing in a way that was healthy or beneficial to the friendship anymore. I am holding myself accountable for it every day, but I no longer feel crappy about it. I used to feel crappy about it when it really originally went down, but to continue feeling crappy about it today is me making myself feel something that doesn't actually feel good. And it, it deters my personal growth. That's why I can no longer feel bad about it. I felt bad about it. I processed it. I've asked for forgiveness and I've moved on with my life and I'm still I still very much love this person and i only wish the best for them the best of everything yeah
0: i love you talking about how relationships have their own energy and sentience mm-hmm. there's person and then the thing that they create together yeah uh, that's so special
1: like it is special yeah even the ones that fall off those relationships that fall off there was a moment where you thought it was special until you realized it wasn't and then it dragged on until it died yeah
0: and So like my wife and I, we have our day that we talk about house stuff like maintenance, dishes, chores, whatever. And then Mm -hmm. on a different other over here day, Mm -hmm. we have date night because it's important to maintain our connection as well as have this other meeting over here where we talk about our physical space. So there's Mm -hmm. the tending of the physical space and the tending of the emotional together space. And those are two separate activities. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. They're two separate activities that both deserve the respect and love that they need. Like mm-hmm. to adore someone is to love and respect someone. And plenty of people say they love people, but I don't know if they ever question whether they respect people or not. Like mm-hmm. to say you're in love with someone and then push up against the boundaries when they said they're not interested, do you love them? and respect them or do you just have this ideology of what you think love is which is pushing up unnecessarily against other people's boundaries because mm-hmm. that's not love and that's definitely not indicative of self-love which yeah. you need to have first before you can truly love and respect another person. Yeah, I'm mean, um, doing throat just because my throat's getting dry from COVID <laughs> Oh
0: yeah, I'm so grateful that you're here at all today I'm sorry that you're sick. I have three or four questions left, let me read this one right quick
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, I feel like we talked about that one pretty well. So is there anything else about friendship and grief or filmmaking or human being human that you wanted to say that we haven't covered yet before I ask my sort of two wrap up questions about gender euphoria?
1: Oh, I don't know, just whatever it is, just go for it. There's this beautiful meme that says it's already yours dash the universe it's already yours just go for it whatever it is the more terrified you are the more you should do it Mm. because there's a beautiful you that's waiting on the other side of that that said i knew you could do it all along i was waiting for you to do it and here you are and here we are that's your best friend that best friend is you just do it I love that so much. We
0: have a question from the audience. Sure. Mirami is asking, would you like to tell us a little bit about what's next for you? Perhaps your next creative endeavor. It sounds like you're still in the middle of Beautiful Boy. Are mm-hmm. there other creative endeavors that you're working on at the same
1: time? There are some things I'm thinking about, but nothing concretely. Yet. Yeah, That's Beautiful fair. Boy is going to take about another two, two and a half years of my life. And then there's a festival tour and mm-hmm. then I'm distributing it as well.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Beautiful Boy. Oh my gosh. Oh, good. Thank you. Good. <laughs> and for those listening, it's spelled B-O-I
1: for boy. Yeah, it's um,
0: beautifulboy.com. Yeah, yeah. Why did you pick that for that version of the word boy for those who don't haven't heard of that before?
1: First of all, boy was adapted by black lesbians, I think, in the sixties or seventies. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it comes from. And it's just for people that identify as mask of sinner. And so I am transmasculine by definition, but to me, like, in all honesty, I called my friend beautiful boy one day and it stuck. And then all of a sudden I realized I am a beautiful boy too. And my film originally was a different title. And I thought, no, it needs to be beautiful boy. It needs to be beautiful boy. You need to, since it's about you and you now recognize that you are also a beautiful boy, you need to put... Who you are, right in this title of the film and in your website. Yeah, I love yeah.
0: that. Oh, yeah. I love that so much. Can you share an experience with gender euphoria? I'm experiencing it right now, honey. <laughs> I know. You're fabulous, You're
1: fabulous. I'm experiencing it right
0: now. Look All at this disco ball. ball. I'm experiencing euphoria. It's such a good euphoria. disco ball. It's so
1: good. I have a mesh shirt on, and so mm-hmm. I had oops, I'm gonna fall down. I had top surgery, and so this is what I look like now. So it's Yay. great. I bought this at uh, a gay sex store across the street. I'm so lucky. <laughs> and I cut the <laughs> sleeves off this morning because Amazing. they were too long. And I was like, this actually works. So, so yeah, I'm experiencing it right now. Gender euphoria, it's whatever you define it as.
0: Yeah, I had some recently when I was gardening with my shirt off. That was funny. oh nice. I was like planting strawberries or something and just like no shirt, just dirt and skin. It was great. And then when my back hurt and I was done, I got to stop. What a delight. <laughs> oh,
1: my gosh. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> Go sit down.
0: <laughs> Disabled, yeah, age. queer, and trans gardening. There it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure having you here. I have one more question for you. What sure. would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues?
1: What? Can you ask that question one more time?
0: Yeah. If there was like a sound bite, or you had a soapbox, you got your 30 second elevator pitch. What's the one thing you want to make sure people know about your perspective about gender and gender identity?
1: That there's nothing to fear. Yeah. The reason why we are trans is because our ancestors were trans. The reason why we are who we are today is because it comes all the way from our lineage, from the very first person in our lineage. And there's nothing to fear. I'm just a human being just like you. And we're not different. We're unique to each other. That's it.
0: I love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being on the show. I offer you hugs if you wish to receive virtual hugs. Here yes. Virtual hugs. Such a wonderful conversation. As a reminder to our audience, you all can check out Atlas's website, beautifulboi.com, beautifulboy.com. Thank um, you for information about the film. Is there a mailing list people can sign up for on your website?
1: Yes, they can subscribe. If they also choose to purchase to rent a film, they can subscribe that way as well. But on the main page there is a subscription on the bottom of that. And That's so you loving. can access it through your phone, desktop. Can we and pre-order?
0: App. Can we pre-order your film through the website? Pre-order Beautiful Boy? Yeah. Damn, I hadn't even thought about that. That was that your
1: brilliant idea
0: you should do it you should have pre-orders for your film it's like kick-starting but you get to keep all the money <laughs> i'm
1: totally gonna do that because that's the thing now people yeah, want to do the pre-orders yeah, like yeah pre- Monet, i think pre-order I think do a digital
0: copy of beautiful boy i would 100% do that i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that i'm having that done this week yes okay so when Alice gets that done i will invite them to email me about it and we'll put the info in the show notes so you all can see it on youtube in the podcast later
1: oh this is brilliant you're brilliant you're brilliant this is perfect yes (laughs)
0: happy pride so good oh my gosh what a beautiful website also
1: so many cool things i'm gonna make sure I sign up for your emails once we finish the show that was the first time i used wix and i don't Like I'm not a website builder. And so i stumbled around for about a week and figured it out. And even the Wix employees who I kept messaging over and over, they're like, your website's amazing. It's not too bad. You did great. I love it. Thank you.
0: It's so wonderful. So t- for our guests to know, next week, we're going to be having Kai and Jackal from Stealth, a transmasculine podcast. And we're going to be discussing trans elders and stealth transmasculine folks. So their show, I've mentioned it on the show a few times. Their show is all about interviewing folks who came out as masculine of center before the year 2000 and what it has been like for those people um, being trans. Because that generation of trans masculine people is severely under documented so they're yes. doing it they're doing it they're documenting it which is so exciting and it's that's why it I'm took me movie. it took me like three months to schedule them because they're very busy boys and but we did it so i'm excited that's going to be our guests for next week so come back next week it will be a later stream let me look at my calendar later than usual because they have work so we're going to go live at 6 p.m instead of 2 30 just so everybody knows Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on the podcast. Please feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays and keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio only version. As Nifer Kitty likes to say, trans rights are human rights. That's right. That's right. That's right, baby.